Good morning. Welcome to Stuttgart Harvest Church. I am so glad to see you this morning on this Christmas Eve. Um, I don't remember if, I'm sure we have in, in the past years, if we've had a Christmas Eve morning together, but uh, I'm glad I get to be here with you today. Merry Christmas. Um, I love Google. Um, I use Google as my search engine. I use it for my email. I use it for my database storage. I use Google for absolutely everything, it seems like. And I also use Google Maps. And McKinley, I didn't run through these pictures, so we may get some surprises here as we go through a couple of pictures I want to share with you. Because if you've ever used Google uh, Maps, then you understand that sometimes they don't quite get everything right if you're using Google Maps. You kind of get down the road only to discover that, oops, I've landed at a dead end. This isn't what I thought. This isn't where I thought I was. So it happens more frequently than you might think. So I've got a couple of examples up here for you. Um, this first example is someone who drove the Google, told them to keep driving, and they did. This came from a news story. They actually kept driving. And I guess once they got in the water, they realized, oh, maybe I don't need to go any further. But so maybe a dead end in that instance would be better than going into the lake. I, you got to just be careful. So here's another one, a legitimate, this is Mount Rushmore, um, a sign near there. It's, it's like, it's wrong. Don't, don't follow the GPS here. It is just wrong. And here's one more, a dead end Dead end, no lake access, Google Maps is wrong. So, I mean, it happens more than we would like to think so. But if we're in a car, that's okay. We can get around it as long as you don't go ahead and go into the lake. But maybe you're finding yourself with a dead end job or a dead end relationship. Or since it's Christmas time, uh, maybe you feel like you are dead at a dead end financially uh, trying to get ready for Christmas. But here's another thing. Maybe you just have a feeling like you're living a dead-end life. Now, that's a whole other thing, right? Have you ever felt like you were just at a dead end in life? Maybe you're walking around, and you're alive, obviously, but you're just kind of dead to the world around you. Uh, maybe it feels meaningless. Maybe it feels monotonous. Maybe it feels pointless. And you might find yourself just wondering, there must be more to life than what I'm experiencing right now. There must be more to life than just simply doing what pleases me. And if that describes you, I know this, you're not alone, but that is the absolute perfect time of year to think about this type of thing. It's crazy how as we get older, the Christmases come closer together. It seems like we just put up and boxed up Christmas from last year, and here we are again. When you're a kid, it takes forever for Christmas to arrive, and now it's faster and faster. It comes quicker and quicker. And this Christmas, we're just really asking you to answer a tough question. Have you ever felt like you were in this life and at a dead end? Do you feel dead while you live? Maybe life isn't as full as it once was. Maybe, maybe it's not what you expected it to be. It's not turning out the way you hope. Perhaps maybe one of the evil one's most uh, perhaps favorite and one of his best dead-end traps that gets us sounds like this. The phrase, oh, that'll be fun. Let's do that. 
E. Or maybe the phrase, yes, that's what I really, really want. Or the phrase, what's in it for me? And all of that can be summarized by one word, and that word is pleasure. And seeking pleasure and doing whatever it is that I want to do right now. The evil one uses that as a living death trap. And eventually, that death trap, as the Apostle Paul tells us, he kind of uh, describes it in a letter that he wrote to one of his closest students named Timothy. Here's what he said. I want to read this to you. Here's what he said to Timothy. Now, I'm going to use the word widow, but that word uh, can be... Uh, replaced with the word uh, all of us, okay? It, 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 he's, he's speaking about a widow, but this could absolutely be any of us. And here's what Paul said to Timothy. He says, but the widow or any of us who lives only for pleasure, he says, is spiritually dead even while she lives, even while we live. If we're living for that pleasure, that living death trap of the evil one, then we are living the living dead, the walking dead. Does any of that sound familiar in your own life? Does that possibly describe you or does it describe someone who's very close to you? We could ask a broad question, does that describe most of America? Because I want you to know that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is when Jesus came, when he was born. That's when we celebrate that. And he was born, Christmas came, he arrived for the living dead. And I'll admit, that doesn't sound very Christmassy, does it? It sounds a little more nightmare before Christmassy. But it's true. Jesus came so we could live. It's the reason that we even need Christmas. We are the reason we needed a Christmas. In fact, Easter only matters because there was a Christmas. Now, John, who was one of the most, uh, gives us one of the most well-known accounts that we have of a dead man walking and this is such a compelling account, and I know you'll probably get tired of Cole and I saying this, but what we're about to say, what we're about to read, actually is history. It's a true story. John was there, and he wrote about it, first-hand account, eyewitness account, and here's what John said. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, uh, Bethany, to give you an idea, is just a, a little over a mile away from Jerusalem. And this is a place where Jesus frequently stayed when he was in the Jerusalem area. And so here's where this story is going. Verse 2. Uh, John gives us this information. He says, this is the Mary, because there were lots and lots of Marys back then. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. Now, John wants us to know exactly who this is. So he, he kind of 
Let's specifically, this is that Mary. He goes on, verse three. Uh, The two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend, and they weren't exaggerating, he was a dear friend, your dear friend is very sick. Now, Jesus knew this already. He's Jesus, he's God. He knows all about us. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. He knows what is coming next in this story with Lazarus, and he knows what's coming next for you, and he knows what's coming next for me. But for a few moments, let's really zone in and 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 focus in on these raw emotions that we're going to see in this account. Because when somebody is sick, Our emotions and the emotions of the family can get, usually do get very, very raw. And that's what we find here. What we're going to see, I hope, will be incredibly uplifting to you this morning. It's not going to be in the beginning, though, because it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because Jesus knows. He already knows. But here, in this moment, Jesus is a no-show. In this moment, at least in the beginning, as we get started with this uh, biographical account. But I don't want you to miss this. Jesus knows what's coming, but he actually shows up right on time. And we're going to find out, though, that it's not right on time for Mary and Martha, according to their time. Their watch, in fact, says that Jesus is really, really late. But that's what Christmas is, you know. Christmas is Jesus showing up right on time, according to what the Father says is right on time. Christmas is when God arrives on the scene, planned from the very beginning, right on time. So let's go back to the account, verse 4. But when Jesus heard about it, heard about Lazarus being sick, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened. For the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. See, Jesus knows what's coming. Now, this was not the response that uh, Mary would have been looking for, or Martha, not the response she was hoping for. I mean, come on, this, this is Jesus. Jesus has healed the sick. He has made the disabled walk. He has cast out demons. He did all of this for strangers, and he did some of it from a distance. So that's what they're hoping for. Now, John has already reminded us how close that Jesus is to this family, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, these siblings. So this really doesn't make sense that Jesus didn't just get on up and skedaddle and get over there. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to you. And it certainly didn't make sense to them. Where's Jesus? They're thinking. What's going on? We know he's not that far away. Why isn't he here? Why couldn't he come? We're, you know, we've, we've done everything that we would think he wants of us. We've got this faith. We're following. We're believing. So why is this happening to me? And I'm sure, I'm sure doubt is beginning to creep in to their thoughts. And here's where we're going. Finally, uh, let's look now at John 11 or 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been dead and in his grave four days. Jesus didn't just miss the death. Jesus missed the entire funeral. 
I mean, he's late. He's really, really late. Verse 20, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary, Mary stayed in the house. Now, Mary responded like some of us might respond. Mary just stays. I mean, it's almost as if she just feels dead to the world now. I mean, she's alive. She's certainly alive. But it's almost emotionally, relational, like she's just dead. I mean, this Jesus, a close friend, she knew he could take care of this. He has failed her. Which means, obviously, he doesn't really care. He was late. Mary's dead with discouragement. I've been there. Some of you are there right now. And here Mary's there. Why not? I mean, discouragement, it is a terrible thing. I know what it feels like to have the weight of discouragement sitting on your chest, on your life. And you know what it's like. You could testify to this as well. Many of you could. Discouragement traps us under this deep, 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 Um, a thought of just being inside of ourselves, with ourselves, alone with our pain. And that's where we find Mary. Sure, when we're in that state, we're alive. Sure, we're alive, but it feels more like death. And that's Mary. And it's possible, even on this Christmas Eve, that might be you. I mean, you might be able to say, Jesus follower. Yeah, check. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Faith. Yeah, I've, I've expressed my faith and trust in Jesus. Check. But you find yourself still discouraged because it isn't working out the way it's supposed to. Jesus didn't show. Mama still died. Someone still emotionally left and checked out of my life. Someone physically left and checked out of my life. Now, there's nothing at this moment for you, possibly, if you're feeling discouraged, There's nothing holly and jolly about this day, about this season. And that could be someone here today. I want you to know, I have been there. I have visited that place myself. The place where you would say you're alive, but you're dead. You're dead to the world. You feel dead. So you may have been there. Mary certainly seems to be in that place at this story and this part of the biography. But Martha maybe acted a little more like some of us. This is probably a little more like me at times. Here's what Martha does. Martha marches out to meet Jesus. I mean, she didn't wait behind. I mean, she 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 goes to confront Jesus. She goes out. She marches out. She wants to... She wants to get this conversation going because she's upset. And Martha declares, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, this is not said with loving kindness. If only, Jesus. Jesus, you should have. Jesus, if you would have. Jesus, you could have, but you didn't, Jesus. You didn't. Why? Why didn't you? Jesus, what's the deal? I don't understand. You did all of those other things, all those other miracles for other people, for strangers even. So why not me? So while Mary is back home alone with her feelings, Martha is making hers known. But they've both fallen into the same living 
death trap. They're battling discouragement. So what about you? Today on Christmas Eve, where, where do you feel trapped? Where do you feel trapped? A dead-end job, a dead-end relationship with a spouse, a dead-end relationship with a child on, on the verge of bankruptcy, maybe worried about losing it all. Maybe you're in the middle of an addiction and nobody around you really knows. Maybe you've kept it hidden so well, but you know. You know. Maybe you feel dead spiritually. Maybe you're just kind of faking it, just kind of going through the motions to please somebody else, to get somebody else off your back. So in what area of your life right now might you be walking around alive but dead? And the reason I ask is, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus actually came to this earth. The Word became flesh so that He could offer life. More life and more life. And to quote John, life abundantly. But if that's not the life that describes your life, then I want to ask some very serious questions because these are the same questions that I've had to ask myself when I was kind of caught in that living death trap myself. So the question is, if that is not the life that I'm living, that life that's abundant, and notice Jesus didn't say a life free from problems, Somehow in the midst of problems, there can still be a life where he is filling your heart, your soul with abundance. And if not, I have to ask, what's the problem? What's the circumstance? And here's maybe the most important question. What's the state of your relationship with Jesus right now? Because Jesus came to offer life not death disguised as life. And while Mary and Martha have different responses to Jesus, in fact, we're going to visit this biography account again in January, just very quickly in January. But while they have, and we're going to look at their different responses, but while they've had different responses, they are both confused. They're both hurt and they're both very, very discouraged. And if you can relate to that, if you are hurting right now, if right now in your life you're hurting and maybe even contemplating, I don't know if I can face another Christmas feeling the way I'm feeling right now, then I, please, 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 I want you to listen to this. Jesus, Jesus cares. Jesus cares. He absolutely cares. I I know you can feel like, well, Harley, that's what you're supposed to say. That's just kind of preacher talk. No, no, I, I, I promise. Jesus actually cares. And in this story, this is why All of this happened. This is why what 
to us, we look at and we see as something really bad. This is why it happened. It is why Jesus waited. It's why he did not intervene sooner, even though he could. It is so that we could have on record Jesus himself, God himself, choosing to enter into the emotion of this moment with, beside, with Mary and Martha. And he didn't have to. Jesus didn't have to. He's God. But Jesus does. Because the Word became flesh. Verse 33, here's what happened. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, and that word wailing is appropriate. It was, it's expressing that it was a very loud, uh, uh, out front, uh, 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 casting out of these emotions, very, just letting them fly, wailing with her, a deep anger. Now there's, there, there might be a better word for this than anger. It's really talking about just a, a deep, Deep emotion was stirring within Jesus himself. It says it welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Some translations say it deeply moved his spirit. And in case you missed it, deeply moved his spirit. This is not the Holy Spirit. This deeply moved spirit that Jesus is talking, that's being talked about here, described by John. No, it's not the Holy Spirit. It is the very same spirit that you and I wrestle with every single day. It's the human spirit. And Jesus is that spirit where we can be on top of the world one moment and the very next moment we can be at the lowest point in our lives. That human spirit. That emotion that I've just described is being shown by our Creator God as He is being moved in His human spirit. So when the Bible says that the Word became flesh, this is part of that humanity. And make no mistake, Jesus isn't troubled over the death because Jesus knows what he's getting ready to do. He knows how this is going to turn out. He's not troubled over the death. He's troubled over their reaction to his death. He's troubled over their trouble with the pain and the hurt. And Jesus continues, verse 34, where have you put him? He asked them, and they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. I'm so glad when centuries after the new covenant was put together, they uh, they divided the scripture up into verses. Um, I'm so glad that they gave this phrase its own verse. And it's not just so we can answer the trivia question, what's the shortest verse in the entire Bible, which it is. But that's not why. I, I'm so glad because it makes us pause in this moment and isolate this moment with Jesus. It's so significant. This moment drives home the humanity 
of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus is driven home with this one phrase. And the love of Jesus is driven home with this one phrase. And in doing so, the love of the Father is driven home as well because the Word truly became flesh and made His home among us. And we want to contrast the response of Jesus with the response of the other people. This word that's used to describe Jesus when he wept, the the word specifically means that he cried quietly. Crying quietly, not over the death, because Jesus knew what was coming next, but he cried quietly, he wept with emotion, very quietly, and the pain and the loss and the hurt that he was weeping over was their misconception of him. Their misunderstanding that they still had of him. Jesus wept. Jesus was right there with them, but nobody yet really understood him or really knew him. And I wonder, I wonder if Jesus still weeps today over the many ways that we continue to misunderstand him today. What I'm going to say next, someone might push back hard too, but I want to say it. And it might sound trite, but listen, it is so true. Jesus was emotionally involved with them And he's emotionally involved with us, or he wants to be emotionally involved with you because Jesus cares. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's about that time that God loved the world so much. He loved the world enough that the word became flesh right on time to offer you and to offer me a way into a right standing once again with God, and that right standing was lost at the garden. But he came to offer it to make it right. And it may not, it's very possible, it might not feel like it right now. It may not feel like Jesus is emotionally involved with you, and it may not feel that he even wants to be. But Jesus came to this earth as a baby so that you could live, so that you could really live. And God is good. And God is nothing but good. In fact, Jesus gives us a hint at that. In John 10.10, John quotes Jesus saying that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus came so that you could live. Back to the biography, verse 43. Then Jesus shouted to Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes. His face was wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let them go. Because Lazarus, you are no longer dead. And because you're no longer dead, you don't have to dress like a dead man anymore. You don't have to act like a dead man anymore because you aren't a dead man. Because Lazarus, you are alive. 
Now Jesus turns his head and he speaks to Martha. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And he says, he looks at her and he asks, do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? Stuck on Harvest Church, do you believe this? And if the answer is yes, then we implore, we beg you, then live. Choose to live. Don't fall into the one, one of the many living, walking death traps that the evil one has set for you. It's about the time that God loved this world. That's, that's what this is all about. It's about that time. Wow. Here's what I ask. I think as we look at our lives that every single one of us could place ourselves today on this Christmas Eve into one of three places. It's possible that you're a Christ follower, a Christ follower who is following closely behind Jesus. You've made him the boss of your life, which makes you a follower of Jesus. They go hand in hand. There's not one and then the other. It's the same. To make Jesus the boss of your life is to choose to follow Jesus. And when we do that, we're choosing to say this, Jesus, as my boss, you are now the owner of my life. You're the owner of my life. And so now as I approach life, I don't approach it and say, what do I want to do with this life? That's where we started when Paul was saying, hey, living for pleasure, you are spiritually dead, even though you're alive. So if I've made him my boss, then I'm admitting he's the owner of my life. And so now instead of saying, what do I want to do with my life? I go to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want to do with my life, this life? Because it's yours. What do you want to do with this day? What do you want to do with this moment? What do you want to do with these finances that you have sent through my way for me to manage on your behalf? What do you want me to do with my choices, my decisions, my relationships? Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? And we don't do it perfectly. But if he's your boss, then you are continually referring to him for direction in every in, in moment, moment by moment, day by day. And if that's you, then you are more closely living that abundant life. No matter what circumstance you may be facing, you still feel an abundance in your soul. I'm not talking about abundance of cash. Most of the world is dirt poor. If you have on clothes today, if you added up the cost of those clothes, the retail value of those clothes, you are more wealthy than most people in the world today. So I'm not talking about money. It's an abundance in your soul and in your life. And if you're continually defaulting to your owner saying, okay, what do you want in this moment? What do you want in this moment? And doing that, then you are more closely living that abundant life that God has for you and that he has promised you. That may not be you. 
Perhaps you have come to the place in your life where you said, yes, I'm going to make Jesus the boss of my life. And, And maybe for some time you did. You did, and you did say, okay, you're the owner of my life. You're the owner of my life. Um, but maybe, maybe over some time, you decided, hey, I think maybe, Jesus, I can help. Why don't we be co-owners? Why don't we co-own this life? You can have say, and I can have say. So sometimes we'll do it your way, and sometimes we'll do it my way. And if that's the case, then we are described by Paul very accurately as he described that widow, the one who is living for pleasure. In other words, the one who is living to please themselves, the one who has taken and said, I will co-own this life with you. It's a partnership, Jesus. It's you and me together. That co-ownership, according to Jesus, according to Scripture, that doesn't exist. So if we've placed our hands back on the controls of our life, and we have become a co-owner with Jesus, then we are accurately described by Paul as one who is spiritually dead, even though we're living. And that might describe you today. But there's one more description. Maybe, maybe you are spiritually dead. Maybe if you said, hey, if there's a a cold and warm, a cold and a hot, like this is like super cold, frigid, cold, freezing, and over here is I am hot for Jesus. Maybe you'd say, listen, I'm a zero because I've never come to the place in my life where I've said, Jesus, uh, I'm giving this life to you, back to you. It is yours. It belongs to you. You'll be the boss of my life. If you've never made him the boss of your life, then the Bible describes you as spiritually dead, that that you are you are spiritually in the hands of the evil one, spiritually. But Jesus came, he came to take you out of the hands of the evil one and to place you in the hands of himself, in the hands of Jesus spiritually, where he will never let you go. He will never turn you loose. He'll never throw you away. He'll never cast you out. Once he has placed you in his hands, he will never let you go. And if you've never done that, then this morning, I beg you, that's your step. And you can't do it for me because I'm begging you. You can't do it because it's you feel emotional about it. This is a decision you make to say this. Yes, I don't want to live the rest of my life spiritually in the hands of the evil one. I want a new owner. I'm tired because over here when we're in the hands of the evil one, he pretends and lets and fools you and makes you think that you're the owner of your life. But he is. Oh, we're going to be owned by somebody. And if we think it's us, then we're actually in the hands of the evil one. But Jesus says, I, I want to place you in my hands where I will hold you forever, where I will, I will take you and I will give you an eternal relationship with God. And it only happens through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate today. The fact that Jesus came He came as a baby, put on the flesh of man. And this little baby, 
This little baby is the creator of the world. And he's the redeemer of the world. And this morning, if you've never given your life to him and said, yes, Jesus, you can have this life. I've been the boss, but I want to make you my boss. I've been the owner, but I want to make you the owner. If you've never done it, this morning is the time to do it. And you don't have to say any special words. You don't have to say a special prayer. You can. You don't have to. If right now, in this moment, where we are, where you are seated, where we are right now, if in your heart you say this to Jesus, Jesus, I have had control of my life, but you died for me. If that is what your heart is saying, Jesus, you can have this life. I give it to you. It is yours. It is yours. It is yours. You are now the owner and I'm going to follow you. If that's what your heart is saying, he is hearing you right now. If that's what you're telling him, he's hearing you. And I, I, I ask you, would you please Let me know. Let Cole know just on your connection card. You can do it on the paper version. You can do it uh, on the online version. Let us know you're making him the boss of your life because we're going to send you some information to help you get that journey of following Jesus started. We want to send that to you. We want to get it to you. But maybe for you, maybe, maybe you find yourself a little bit like Mary and Martha. They were following Jesus, but yet they felt dead. Maybe at some moment in your life, maybe at some moment you were following closely, but some some things kind of slowly changed and you began to say, Jesus, let's co-own this thing. Let me help you out. You can have some, I'll have some. You'll get your way sometimes, I'll get my way sometimes, and we'll work together on this. And if that's you, the only answer is to respond to Jesus again, I'm sorry. I'm going to turn away from that because that, that, That is actually pulling me away from a close following relationship of you. And I'm following myself, my own desires, my own passions, my own wants. And Paul said, that makes me like a spiritual dead person, even though I'm alive. And if that's what you're feeling like, and I'm not saying you've lost that salvation that Jesus has cast you out of his life. But I am saying this, as long as, here's the problem with the living sacrifice that Paul talks about, the living sacrifice where we say, Jesus, I'm yours, I'm all yours. A living sacrifice, which we're called to do, a living sacrifice is always tempted to crawl down off the altar. And that's what we're doing when we say, okay, I'll, so I'm just saying, lay that life down and say, Jesus, it's yours. I am not a co-owner with you, Jesus. I'm just simply now a manager of this life. And so the manager only does what the owner wants. And that's the point we need to get back to. And so this morning, if you have tried to co-own your life with Jesus, then this morning I would encourage you to say, Jesus, no, I repent of that. I turn from that thinking. I walk away from that and I walk to you. And I say, you're the owner. I follow you. No matter what step Jesus is asking you to take today, that's between you and him. I don't know what that step is for you. I'm not sure what that is. But we can only do any of these steps because at one point in history, according to the timeline of God, right on time, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he did that so that one day he could go to the cross and pay the price for our sins and allow you and me the opportunity to be forever in his hands.
in a relationship with him for eternity. So before we can take any step, I, I just, I, I hope you will take a step today. But I just want to remind you of this one thing. And I want this to echo through Christmas Eve today and all through your Christmas celebrations. Jesus came so that we might live. So live. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you came so that we could live. Thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Not to show us an example, although you did. Thank you. Not to show us how to love, although you did. Thank you. Not to show us how to live, although you did. Thank you. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that you could take those who were dead and the living dead and you could make them alive again by going to the cross and then defeating death by walking out of the tomb. And then you invite us all to come and follow you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.